Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. <laughs> you know, I want to see if I've got it. You know, I've got what it takes to do something. You know, you read stories, you know, people climb mountains and, you know, explorers, they did did stuff. And, you know, you read, you know, Shackleton and, and those guys, um, you know, suffering it out in woolen clothes. And, and you, you read this stuff and you go, my life is just too sanitized and uh, and, I, and i think it's because of that that people just want to go i want something that's different okay you people sit tight hold the fort and keep the home fires burning and if we're not back by dawn call the president you're going the wrong way what you're going the wrong way he says we're going the wrong way oh he's drunk how would he know where we're going yeah, how would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Welcome to the Dark Zone Adventure Racing Podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatens. Episode number 85, 85. Currently November 2023. This one was recorded back in April 2023. My apologies to our guest, Chris Dixon of Wild & Co. Maybe Wild & Company. Not quite sure what he calls it. I called it Wild & Co. We'll have to live with that. This was recorded back in April. Chris did a great job. This one got put in the vault. Sat there, sat there, sat there. But here we go. New episode coming out from an old conversation. Chris loves adventure racing. Absolutely loves it. Loves what he brings to it. Loves what it brought to him. Loves putting on events. Is really growing uh, in the sport. And we are delighted to give him a showcase to tell the world all about what he's doing in Australia. This was pre Godzone falling apart. So there's a little Godzone reference in there, but that race has moved on. Chris is there to offer racing to the world. The Dark Zone is very grateful to have you as a listener. Even more important this time of the year when it's American Thanksgiving. Full with gratitude for the sport that we have, for all that's happening in our sport, for all the race directors and the volunteers and the racers and the families and the sponsors and the suppliers, everybody who just wraps their arms around this sport. We're so fortunate to have it. So great to be part of the community. Have a wonderful, wonderful listen. Keep training, be safe. And thanks again to Chris Dixon for not only his interview, but for his patience. I own one, well, maybe two. I'd like to also mention the Dark Zone's charity partner, Ascend Athletics. We are proud to support their mission to empower young women through mountaineering-based leadership training and community service. All of our listeners are encouraged to visit ascendathletics.org to learn more about Ascend and their work in helping to develop leadership and resiliency in young women in Pakistan and Afghanistan through fitness, mental health, community service, and mountaineering. Please note that Ascend pays nothing for this mention. We just love the work that they do and are happy to spread the word. Be sure to check out their website for some upcoming activities that anyone can get involved in. We are joined from the other side of the world. It is 10 o'clock in the morning, Wednesday. It is 8 o'clock at night here in beautiful New Jersey. Coming from all the way from Queensland, Australia, I think we're in Queensland, is Chris Dixon for Wild & Co., uh, a very ambitious race company putting out a, a whole group of adventure racers uh, in Australia. I've invited Chris to come on to the show. He loves the sport. He loves racing. He loves talking about it. 
Um, we had us, we had a, I had to quiet him down so I could start the recording because we were so ahead of ourselves. Originally, we had to get him started. So Chris, let's start you off with an easy one. You mentioned in college that you were a middle distance runner, 10 K felt long to you. And now you find yourself today involved in adventure racing. How'd you get started in the sport? Well, um, yeah, as, as I said, I, um, um, I, I think I ran, ran state championships, 800 meters, um, did okay. And I put up the running shoes and just didn't touch them for 10, maybe, maybe longer. Um, you know, I didn't stop doing stuff. We, we, you know, surfing, riding bikes everywhere and that sort of stuff, but no, no competitive sport. And, um, I think, um, you know, as everyone who has, has little kids, as they're growing up, you sort of want to get them into sport. So, um, when, when I, I think it was just going back to, you know, the athletics track with my little kids and, um, and you used to just walk onto the grounds and you just, the smells, the lights, and, uh, and you just go, oh, I remember doing this. I used to love this. Um, and um, so while, while they were at training, um, I, I took up running again and uh, I started running and, and just, you know, just short stuff. I, I set my goal as a, this is embarrassing, run a 5K. <laughs> so, hey, hey, any so distance I, is good. Take it easy on yourself. Oh, totally. Chris. I mean, I mean, I mean, I like to tell people when you're racing, you're beating the guy sitting on the couch, right? Doesn't oh, matter 100%. the distance, but a 5K, right? Good start. The, yeah. the kids got you back into it. And so Absolutely. 5K and then where do they go from there? Yeah, I did a 5K and then a, and a friend um, who, uh, you know, um, um, a fellow that was doing some work with us, he was like, oh, try a half marathon and uh you know and then i was like oh that's just mind-blowingly long and um and i looked at a program and i just the the, the prospect of running over you know over 20 kilometers was just you know just mind-blowing for a like a short track runner and uh or middle distance runner so um so yes i did a, did a half marathon and then and then there was just this moment where you you know you do this half marathon you think i can do anything right um and uh, and it just escalated from there i took up i took up road cycling i'd always wanted to do it it was never really got around to it i took up road cycling and you know coincidentally um the guys that i joined cycling just happened to be you know include one of australia's top adventure racers um and some of his mates so um, and who was that i guess i was there was dave slosh so dave slosh. um okay. he, he uh he participated in team thunderbolt um at eco challenge um and um but uh, yeah he was just part of the cycling group and and uh and i just knew of these like crazy things that you know these guys used to do uh and they would talk about you know when we we're out on the road bikes and um and then yeah i think once um um you know, once you start to find out about this sort of stuff, um, you know. Well, well to your point, one thing leads to another, right? You, you run a 5K and you, you survive, you feel good. You run the half marathon, you know, 13 miles, you survive, you feel good. You pick up a road bike. You, you found yourself in the right place at the right time. These guys are talking about adventure racing. And that's a very common dynamic in adventure racing is that one thing sort of leads to another. And I think it's important to point out that you, you were up a really interesting thing is that one thing leads to another. When you realize you have oh, capacity 100%. for one thing, you move on to the next thing. Mm, oh, totally. And and I think that was my um, um, sort of journey with with adventure racing. You, you know, you you sign up for your first twenty four hour race um, just to see if you can get it done. And I remember just you know it's it's three in the morning and you're with your with the cycling mates and um, you're having a great time out there and you think this is just 
this is amazing. Um, and then, you know, and then you go, well, I can, maybe I'll go further. So, you know, 48 hours and suddenly you're racing 48 hours and, um, you know, and just really, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter how you place, you know, we had mechanicals, we had injuries, you know, you end up towing people half the race, um, get lost and all that sort of stuff, but, you know, just a blast. Um, but it's just once, once you sort of get over this idea of what's possible, um, yeah, you, you realise you can do anything. And I think Working. that's what's most exciting about organising races for people because they sort of i mean we've got a little six hour race coming up on the weekend and people are just totally new and to them six hours is just again like mind-blowingly large um but but yeah you just talk them through and they find out what they can do and then yeah it's just amazing it's interesting point about adventure racing is that we lose a sense of perspective yes right the idea like six like six hours is short (laughs) right and and people like what are you talking about like like if you if you run a 5k right if you if you go out and you run a 5k you could run that 5k anywhere from 35 if you're if you're fast you run it like in 18 19 minutes oh, yeah. if you're if you're if you're on the, the the standard side you're running around 27 minutes maybe 30 if you're taking your time you're at 35 40 minutes but yeah. you rarely go over an hour for a 5k it's 20 minute oh, yeah. miles you you're walking it basically yeah. and yet you're talking about a 6 hour race yes. which is on the low end of, yes. of adventure racing Oh, 100%. We, it's funny, you know, as you, because we obviously run an adventure racing business, but you sort of, you're interested in lots of stuff. So I'm interested in trail running, you know, do that sort of stuff. Love gravel riding, love mountain biking. Um, so we, we organized a gravel race a couple of years ago and um, 120 kilometers, 3000 meters of uh, climbing. So, you know, not easy mm-hmm. but and a bit of you know, an adventure race director, what is he going to do? You're going to put in some hiker bike. Right. Um, so, you know, did this thing amazing course and um and you know some people loved it and some people came over the line just going that was that was that was ridiculous that was way too hard <laughs> and um i just remember talking to um another adventure race director and uh, and she just said we just have this you just don't know what's hard anymore right <laughs> which is really yeah. bad <laughs> well there's a there's a a ride up here in the northeast united states called d2r2 um mm. it's up in deerfield massachusetts and there's a part of that uh, ride where they tell you, first of all, it's not a race. Let's be honest. Mm. It's a race. Um, yeah. They say it's a ride and they will say to you that there's a part of the course where you would f- be fully expected. You're going to be walking your bike up this, up this hill slash road slash gravel path. And they tell you that mile 90 will be the hardest mile in the race yes. of like 104 miles. Um, mm. And they're absolutely right. And, and to mm. your point where you, you run out of what hard is, what hard isn't. And sometimes as race directors, we all kind of lose perspective of what it is and people get thrown into these things. But mm-hmm. part about doing this is that you you do sign up for the challenge. Yes. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's I think you know standing at the finish line that is is honestly the most exciting thing, the most satisfying thing is seeing people come over the finish line, you know, and you know what you've just done to them. <laughs> You know, you've just tortured them for the last, you know, 12, 18, you know, 24 hours. Uh, and they come over with a smile on their face and just go, that's, that was just amazing. Um, and, um, and, you know, you get these comments later, you know, adventurizing, it's just, it's changed my life. Um, and, uh, and, it, and it really does. Um, and even when people don't finish, in, in fact, it's in some respects, it doesn't really even matter if they don't finish or they don't get all the checkpoints. Um, you know, they've just had this perspective change. Um, what do you think you that know? is, you know, Wild and Co puts on a lot of races. I know you have the two 24 hour races 
GeoQuest is 48 hours. Legends was six days, 500K. So you're clearly embedded in the sport, right? You've you you made the personal transference, and you, you know we were speaking before we recorded. You worked in a variety of fields. You had some degree in theology. You worked in Nepal. You worked in a variety of settings, and now you're fully embedded in adventure racing as an activity. What do you think it is about the sport, regardless of the distance, right? This agnostic to how far the distance is. What are the things that you would identify as what makes adventure racing different? What would you say to somebody who says to you? You know, tell me about adventure racing. Why should I go and do one? What's your answer? Oh, it's a, it, it is a hard question, um, but there's a couple of things that I think just are recurring themes. Um, and you know, you sort of judge where people have come from, and you say, look, it's 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 not linear. You know, it's not in a straight line. Um, the course is unmarked, um, and so you've got to find your own way. There's sort of so there's that non-linear aspect. We're not going to tell you which way to go. Um, you know, you have to work that out yourself. Uh, and then there's the team dynamic. You know, one of the the lines we often use in you know the promotional material is you know get out into the bush with your mates you know get out and hang out with your friends and uh and i think that that dynamic is is um um is really important and then the other aspect i think is just the um i mean it's, it's almost outrageous what we do at odd times so you know at two in the morning like we just we just had a race a couple of weeks ago, a uh, twenty four hour race. Um, it was absolutely pouring down with rain, you know, torrential rain, um, and people are sort of climbing, you know, walking out on this sort of sandy sandy strip. You've got the ocean crashing on each side, and uh, and there's a little there's a little hill, and it's you know maybe maybe fifty meters up, and sort of through a little little goat track. Um, and so people are up on this little rocky rocky outcrop in the middle of the weather at two in the morning, and um, and and people. People come over the line and just go. That was just you know checkpoint twenty four. That was that was amazing. So it's those experiences to me that are really you know what it's all about. Um, just you know totally out there. You know water coming up, creek crossings. Um, you know and that sort of stuff. So I think that they're the big selling points. It's it's just not linear. Um, out with your mates, having you know solving problems, and then just some of the most beautiful, spectacular, and outrageous. <laughs> So, so clearly there's people pick up on this, but why do you think people do it? Right. I mean, your, your couch is comfortable. Your TV is easy to watch. Like we live in a society that is just tilted towards complacency. It's tilted towards being still. Our cars have heated seats. GPS tells us where to go. Our phones do all our GPS work, like all of that. When you, when you look at your typical racer and the person that comes out to your race, what is it that you think drives them to come and do it? For the first time, and then why do you think they come back? I I actually think it's, um, and I really do. It's it's because of what you just said. It's because the couch is so comfortable, the car is so nice, the GPS track just shows you which way to go. Um, it's because everything in life, you know, life is great. You know, we live in, you know, uh, where we live. It's 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 easy. It's you know, you go to work, you get paid. Um, you know, you get in your car. The roads are good. Um, you know, not everywhere in the world, yes, um, but. but to me, it's just there's something missing. Everything's too perfect, gotcha. uh, and it's because we just want this contrast of you know I want to see if I've got it. You know I've got right. what it takes to do something. You know you read stories. You know people climb mountains and you know explorers they did did stuff. And you know you read you know Shackleton and and those guys um, you know suffering it out in woolen clothes. And, and you, you read this stuff and you go, 
my life is just too sanitized. And, uh, and, I, and I think it's because of that that people just want to go, I want something that's different. And I don't think triathlon, trail running, yeah, gravel riding, yeah, absolutely, those sort of things do it. But I think adventure racing just, you know, it just really, you know, delivers on that. Um, you know, it's me, it's my mates, it's, you know, and it's it's the elements. And, yes, I, I think it's, I, I think it's, I love Mallory's, you know, why do we climb the mountain? Because it's there. Because it's there, we right? Have to. We, yeah. we have to. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on there. One of a, a previous guests on the Dark Zone was David Webster. And David Webster did Itera in Scotland. I interviewed him mm. the fall of 2022. And David, a great interview. And, and I'll put the, a link to that in the show notes for those that want to go back and listen to David's story. Because it was literally the five-day Itera adventure race was his first adventure race, which <laughs> talk about the deep end of the ocean. And he had a great yep. experience, a great experience. Mm. And he talked a little bit about the idea that he – he identified he's english and he identified with a bit of that 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 english tradition of being an explorer and finding new places to go and going to those things so i think you're i think you're right that there are definitely people who are drawn to adventure racing because they like that sense of challenge and that in many parts of our world today that we're we're relatively unchallenged now Mm. as sarah goldman another former Mm. guest would point out that for some people in the world Every day is an adventure race for them. Right? Yeah, They're fighting for the survival true. every single day. So we have to 100%. recognize that adventure racing yeah. is a gift of privilege, right? We have yeah. the uh, it's true. privilege of doing the sport. We always want to acknowledge that when we talk about it. But for those people in the world who have that sense of ability and capacity, they want to try themselves. Mm. A common question that comes up with adventure racing is, is that people tend to shy away from it in the beginning because they think that they're not fit enough. They think they mm. don't have enough training. Your your six hour race, your 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 twenty four hour race, things like that. What does your race do to help the newer racer get from the registration to the start line to the finish line? Are they on their own? Will you throw them to the wolves, or do you do things <laughs> along the way to help them figure it out? And then what's that balance oh. like, right? Because it's it's it has to be challenging. You can't you can't hold their hand. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, like in many respects, they do. They do get thrown into the deep end, and 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 I think that's the reason we've 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 only just launched the Skidara races this year is to sort of bridge that, you know, bridge that gap. So so we're sort of running those in the same areas that we're doing the twenty four hour races because yeah, the twenty four hour race is a is a big jump. Um, that said, we do have a full and a half course with all the events. So um, so we. When Hell's so Hell's Bells was the first race um, that I, I took over. Um, uh, I took it off. Uh, I took it over from Dave Slosh that I mentioned that um, mm-hmm. that I was cycling with, um, and he took it over from actually Craig and Louise Bycroft of Geocentric. Uh, right. So it's an old um, Geocentric AWS race. Well, is that um, great? I mean, I, I want to pause you there real quickly. We'll come back to my my question about the beginners in a second. Mm. Can you talk a bit about inside your, your your knowledge level of the great tradition of Australian adventure racing? Because you mentioned oh, some yeah. names there, Dave yeah, Schloss, yeah. you mentioned the bike yeah, cross. Yeah. Like, like walk us through that history a little bit. Because Australia really is the, you know, Australia and New Zealand, I feel, are the epicenter of, of adventure racing many places in the world. What's your experience yeah. been with that? Um, so, as I said, I came to adventure racing very late. So it was around 2016, uh, 2015 that I really found out about it. Um, and uh, and people in Australia who were around at that time and know, um, you know, would have a little bit of a laugh about the first adventure race, Hell's Bells, that I did. Uh, a little bit embarrassing. Um, but, you know, we got there and uh, it was, you know, it was great. But, um, but yeah, the... the um, 
the adventure racing scene in Australia, and I'm, I'll, I'll get dates wrong. So if there's people listening that right. uh, that know, we have that I'm asterisk. Sure. You're doing the best. Yeah, yeah. There's an asterisk here, so I'm going to say <laughs> a roundabout. So I, I think you know, I think there was the you know the prehistory. There was the um, I think Eco Challenge was here, um, and then there was a couple of like up in North Queensland, um, sort of big expedition races in that sort of you know that prehistory stage of adventure racing. But but in terms of like modern adventure racing when it started around about 2002 um craig and louise so there'd never really been a sort of accessible adventure race outside of the tv show stuff um they organized a race called geoquest um it was south of sydney middle of winter um and it was a 48 hour, you know it was it was pitched as a 48 hour adventure race and uh and they organized it and um and and I think it was more of a sort of a, a central hub and a sort of a butterfly style course, um, but no one finished, which is really so. You know, first forty eight hour race, no one finished. Um, but <laughs> you know, but now, and, you know, let me pause you real quickly. So that was two thousand and two. So that was pre Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, oh, yeah. social media. Mm. So no one finishes, and the world kind of just moves on because no one talks about it. That mm, happens 100%. today. The message boards go crazy. Oh. The Twitter, the Instagram, oh, yeah. the uh, blah, blah. like the rain of fire on that would have been incredible. Oh, absolutely. So the world is kind of like, and the world just kind of moves on. <laughs> yeah. So they, they did they, that was 2002. And I think um, they then ran it. But I mean, everyone had a good time. The, some of the stories just sound <laughs> outrageous when you, you listen to them and you read the reports. Um, and there's still people around that did that race, which is really cool. Uh, interestingly, it was a very young audience too. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the average age was, you know, mid-30s, early 30s. Um, and um, so they, they ran it then the second year and everyone came back. Um, and around about that same time, I think I'm going to get this wrong. Um, there's a couple of other groups that start to organise some stuff. So um, you have A Rock, um, uh, which was run by um, again a couple of you know legendary um, adventure racers, uh, and then Rapid Ascent, John Jacoby, one of the again these are sort of eco challenge characters, um, you know, and uh, they they ran some races down south. So you sort of had this sort of um, you know these three businesses: Geocentric, Rapid Ascent, and and a rock um sort of running these um sort of larger adventure races uh and then some small 24 uh, small three and six hour races turned up um and so that that sort of started and then and then uh, the race that i spoke about before hell's bells was launched in 2004 um and that was that was based on the sunshine coast in queensland um and um and so that that was then run it was just a 24 hour race um so then you sort of had these sort of you know few races and the stories are you know they're outrageous but the sort of the format started to sort of formalize around it so you know 48 hour race about 220 kilometers um you know about 120 kilometers of mountain biking 50 60 k's of trekking 50 60 k's of paddling um so that became the sort of the 48 hour format um about 120 kilometers for the 24 hour and 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 it's funny I, I, i said to louise from um from uh, geocentric uh, i said how did you you know why, why is it like this she goes oh we all just made it up <laughs> yeah there was really no of, right right there was no science no, behind it right yeah there's nothing it was just we just kind of worked it out and and there was a few different organizations doing it and then it's sort of bouncing off stuff around the world and um uh and then i think around about the same time then they launched xpd which became the you know the australian sort of expedition race um, right 
And um, so, yeah, these sort of big races, so XPD, GeoQuest, Hell's Bells, and then a few others sort of sort of turned up maybe maybe 10, 10 years ago. So so Liam with Rogue, um, another race, uh, Sergio Maria ran a race called X Marathon, um, and um and 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 Richard a race called Wildside. So um so yeah, for about it, it 10 feels years, like it feels like inside the, the Australian culture and we, we you see this with your friends from new zealand right and, and you know two mm. separate countries two separate cultures but i think what you really share there is a lot of the idea that you're deeply connected to the outdoors that uh, 100%, that you're, yeah. you're, you're, it's your 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 default position is to spend time outdoors which is different from a lot of america right a lot of americans yeah, tend yeah. to be more you know you live in a in a suburban area there's not a whole lot of outdoors left right you have to work mm. to get there right we've taken away yeah. a lot of our tree cover a lot of our natural forests where in australia it feels like you step out your back door and there's there's thousands <laughs> yes. of acres of open land. And I love the idea how those early races, not that there was no rhyme or reason to the race course, but it was like, you know something, we're just going to, we're going to figure this out and we're going to make yeah. a course up and we're going to take some guesses and we're going to go and it's going to be crazy. While we were chatting, I took a look here at a, a race report from 2002 <laughs> and, you know, and, and there were 17 teams um, started the race and after 39 yep. hours, only eight of them remained on the course. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. And yes. so teams just got, got the Mexicans did very well. For the yes, record. the Mexicans. Yes, they did the ones. famous how well they did. Um, yep. But to your point, there was that kind of swashbuckler buccaneer attitude towards adventure racing back in the day. Mm. It was like, listen, we're putting a ton of checkpoints out there and we're going for it. And we'll just see what yeah. happens. And then the stories come out on the other side of that, right? The, your legs yeah. run out, you get stuck in a river, things like oh, that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. And you can you see the headlights on the Mexicans, the, the head dodgers. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Big. Great, huge. Like, 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 yeah. batteries. right. Well, back then, too, there really was no, you know, we're yeah. in, 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 today, you know, we've adventure racing has benefited from so much of the mountaineering technology, yeah. the lightweight oh, yeah. gear, the, the light yeah. system, all of that. Like, oh, that's yeah. kind of trickled down into our sport. We're seeing what people mm-hmm. are seeing up high in the, in the, the alpinists are seeing have kind of become part of ours. Back then, if you look at the older adventure races and the older eco challenges, I mean, the wool clothing and the equipment, oh, yeah. the batteries, oh, uh, yeah. the, the fashion sense alone was just, oh, yes. you look back oh, at the that, mountain like, bikes. Oh my just... God. The mountain bikes, which are huge, oh, right? Yeah. Super heavy and the lights barely yep. worked. Um, yep. <laughs> and, oh, so, yeah. and so clearly you you view yourself as kind of a descendant of all of those races and, and your job. So, yeah. so how do you, and we will come back to the beginner question. I have not forgotten that, but how do you balance today? the um the increased um standardization of the sport with the spirit of adventure racing as being this kind of wild and woolly no holds barred experience like how do you put those two things together because adventure racing isn't triathlon right adventure racing and nor does it adventure racing is not spartan races not mud Mm -hmm. runs so Mm -hmm. as a race director how do you walk that line between giving your racers that sort of chaotic wild experience but also keeping it safe and fun like how do you kind of do that like what's your and i think that's a question that a lot of race directors struggle with right because you have to balance those two things yeah it is it is a challenge um and i think you know i i think as the you know as people sort of come into the sport have this experience and then sort of move on from the sport and you've got new people coming in you know in some respects no matter what you do in the adventure racing space it's going to be just 
you know, mind-blowingly unusual. <laughs> you know, it's it's really, really a challenge. But then for the some of the season races, you know, oh, you know, it's a 10K run and then a this and then that. Right. And, you know, it's all very familiar. So so it is a it is a challenge to try and do something that is challenging and interesting for the season races. But then no matter what you're going to do, someone who's new to the sport, um, given the weather and that sort of stuff, right. they're going to get an, a, a big experience. But I think yeah, to, to answer the question... You know what, what we try and do, and this is this is probably um, I've spent a lot of time working with Craig and Louise Bycroft, mm-hmm. um, Dave Slosh, and and others. And I should mention uh, Kim and Jan from Tri Adventure, and um, and others um, that have really sort of, you know, they see you doing this stuff, and they they jump in with advice. Sometimes it's frustrating. Right. <laughs> you know, you take it and, and <laughs> right, they're legends, and you're like, okay, no, you they're legends this? of the sport, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the worst thing is when they're tired after a race, <laughs> right. but. Uh, but you listen and you, you take it on and and um and you know what we've done is really you know benefited from a lot of this mentoring from these guys uh and, and women um I shouldn't say that word um you know uh, these these amazing people in the sport mm-hmm. and um and so one of the things that Craig would always say when designing you know I sit down and work with him and you know designing a course and you bounce stuff off him and it, it was like you know keep it short and sharp and fun for the first few legs mm-hmm. uh, and you see you just try and you know have these short sharp fun sort of activities to start and then as you get into the night that's when you can sort of disappear onto the sort of the longer bike routes you know into the state forest maybe it's not so beautiful maybe it's more navigationally challenged and that right. sort of stuff um but but i always and it depends again the probably the biggest challenge we have in australia right now and it's probably all over the world is just working with national parks and right. land land managers right um and trying to explain what you want to do yep. um yeah that's and, far and away every race director i interview permitting getting permits and getting people on yeah. board is very hard building relationships is hard working with and plus in in, in many countries not just here you're working with state authorities regional yeah. county you're working with you know, sometimes national authorities, right? So it's really yeah. hard to do that. You're right. And it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's challenging. I do like, by the way, you, you describe it so easily that you make the first few stages like <laughs> fast and fun, right? You yeah, have yeah. to sucker them in, right? You, yeah. they have a chance to sort of do really well. They have a chance to pick Lots up checkpoints, right? But then all yeah. of a sudden it's like, after yeah. a while, it's like night comes and there's like one checkpoint oh, yeah. every like 15 miles and good luck. Oh figure. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and like you just um, and just a few things we've we've tried recently in races. Um, you know, it, it certainly helps with logistics. Is you know people sort of come in and out and do multiple things off different TAs right. or transition areas, and um, so people are sort of overlapping. You know, stuff like collecting checkpoints in any order. So right. teams are constantly coming across each other. So you've got like you know top teams coming across you know, new teams and, you know, the new teams come back, oh, it's amazing how fast they were going. And, you know, so just by, you know, layering stuff over the top of itself, um, but still giving people that sort of, you know, then you've got so like a big climb, you know, 20 kilometres up a hill or or something like that. Um, We we try and do, so the last, um, actually, I'm surprised people have signed up for Hell's Bells again this year after what we did to them last year. And what was that? Um, so we was in the so Hell's Bell sort of moves around um, like one one geographic region. So the Sunshine Coast, it's about eighty kilometers of coast, and it goes inland about fifty k's. So you just there's lots of lots of spots to to run races, and um, but we took them into the hinterland. And the problem with the Sunshine Coast hinterland is it's, it's you don't go very high, so nothing's over maybe six hundred meters, but it's just these short sharp right you know, up straight down, straight up, straight up, down. 
Straight up, straight down. So, um, so yeah, it was sort of the big feature was this um, sort of hill climb and um, and uh, and then a sort of descent. It's called Pitsaw Road, which is beautifully described because it's like a you know a pitsaw. It's just up and down, up and right. down. Um, but um, but yeah, the full and the hard, and there's just no way to sort of shortcut it. There was only there's only one way in and one way out. Right, of, right. So once you're out there, area. you're out there. There's no once there's you're no out there. Road. You're doing the hill, um, so so um, you know so both the full and the half course did it, uh, which is really really great. Uh, but it was just you know it was sort of red dirt, which just turns into mud when right. it rains a bit. Uh, but it was it was really hard. Uh, it was a big climb, and you know it was in the middle of the night. And um, so working with um, you know it just depends on who's helping out. I sort of wanted to do something fun a bit unusual out there and i sort of talked about archery or you know because you often try and include some of those sort of other outdoor disciplines it depends on budget and time and location um but um but i wanted to do something out there and we sort of looked at climbing trees but someone had just done that um but uh, so i was chatting away to um again craig who was helping me out and um and i sort of said i wanted to do some archery he was like what try something different i don't know whose idea it was but um I don't know if maybe in the states you have them. These axe throwing gyms have just sure, sort of turned sure. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, stumpies. So like, stumpies is one that's up yeah, on my ass, right? Yeah, so um, so we we figured we could sort of you know we go and buy a couple of hatchets, just made a little thing. So we actually did uh, axe throwing up on the top of this hill uh, at two in the morning, and um, and yeah, it was a bit of a no one knew what was going to happen. They were going to do it, but they basically came across this axe axe throwing activity. So I'm assuming um, you told your lawyers about that after the recent, right? <laughs> yeah, tired no, racers throwing if, axes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was actually remarkably the beautiful thing about axes is you can't throw them that far, so it was actually really so- safe. <laughs> That's good. Um, you know, back <laughs> of a hill. So that was good. Um, but yeah, no, but it was in one of those things you describe it. That's so dangerous. Um, but uh, right, yeah, but to your credit, you wanted to, when you threw something really hard at the racer, you wanted to drop yeah. something new on top of it. Right. And I think totally. there's a lot. Absolutely. Of it. You mentioned yeah. the, uh, the, the treat thing's been done. There was a race I can't recall where they had like a vertical mile where oh, you, you, you climb, you climbed the tree and yeah. then you had to make your way across the canopy of the tree with ropes and you had to catch checkpoints and you had to drop down the other side. Oh, so good. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a pretty cool thing yeah. to do during a race, right? Because we're so used to yeah. either, you know, our climbing is usually on rock. And this was a, a very, yeah. very interesting component to do. And you had to go up across this now very unique, obviously, to what we're doing mm. there. Now, now yeah. this year you put on the, the legend six day race. That was mm. your longest race. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so as I said, XPD has been a race in Australia for um, oh, probably n- mm-hmm. nearly twenty years, um, and um, and Craig and Louise just sort of retired and um, and um, decided not to go ahead with XPD anymore, um, which is great. And you know, it, it, it's done its thing. The story's uh, amazing, and yep. um, but it, you know, it was time. And um, so, well, they, so well, was racing, all- it's also an ecosystem, right? There are races. Oh, there totally. are some races. Yeah. that run their course that they move out and other races step into it right and what you want to avoid and you didn't do it there in america we're really thoughtful about that is that we don't our race directors are very smart about not competing with each other yeah that they, yeah, they totally. no one's they always talk to each other and no one's going to drop a race on somebody else's calendar some races yeah. get kind of close um yeah but none yeah, of the races do, yeah. are, are that so to your point do xpd kind of graduated out a little bit and then, then your race the legend decided to step in 
Yeah, I was sort of aware that they were sort of thinking about this and and we had a few chats and I was like, oh, you can't let this thing go. This has got to keep going, you know. And so we talked about it. It was like, you know, can we kind of license it? You know, can I just run it on your behalf or something like that? Because, you know, it's it's been a great race. And, um, you know, they thought about it for a long time and um, and they were just like, you know what, I think it's done. Um, it's 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 done its time. It's it, it's amazing. You know, let's go out on a high. You know, like a you know like a top athlete. You know, you go right. out at the top of your game, and, and it really was an amazing amazing race. And they were like, no, we, let's it's time. So um, so now we, all of a sudden, know, okay, so that's great. And next week yeah. moves on. Legend. Now all of a sudden, Wild and Co is taking on a six day race. Yeah, totally. So how did so how did that? Because if I'm correct, and, and walk me away if I'm wrong. Didn't you have some sort of flooding that interrupted the course before the race? Or am I thinking of a different race of yours? A uh, different race. That was Terra Nova. Uh, in fact, that was all of last year. Like we were just really struggling with with um, with weather events. Yeah, so we, we've we've had to cancel and shift quite a few races. Last yeah, you, year. you lost a, a big road in one of the. I mean, you, I mean, and I remember yeah, yeah, yeah. how well you adjusted to that. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, we lost the whole side of a valley. So, right. um, so yeah, that's um, that the course was gone. <laughs> it was washed down the river, well, one section of it. So, um, but yeah, so that th- that wasn't legend. So um, we um, it was a bit of a Craig made the announcement. I've been talking to him a long time about you know doing XPD and um, and uh, and then I was like, oh, I have never run an expedition race before, <laughs> you know. So you you know beg and borrow and and uh, ask all the questions. Sure. And um, so so we just looked at the calendar. I said, you know, if you were going to run one, what, when would you, you know when would you do it? Because it really needed to run this this year. That was sort of the time. It just needed to get on the calendar and get going, which right. gave us about six months, which is not long enough really to properly not long at all. Like you almost need a year to do a proper, a proper. Oh, you hundred percent. You definitely yeah. to to market it properly, get it out, and that sort six of stuff. Six months is tight. It was tight. Yeah, we just so so as a result, you know, we we chose, uh, and I say we, um, it, it was it was Wild and Co. But you know, you sort of you're leaning very heavily on the mentorship of a few people. Um, you know, so chose a region where uh, you know I was relatively familiar with some aspects of the course, and I knew we could get sort of approval to do it. Um, and we're also then Craig knew some stuff and had a lot of maps, and um, so we sort of did visit some uh, XBD territory from 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, not the same paths and that sort of stuff, but similar areas. So, sure. so we chose an area that was familiar, um, and we, yeah, we, 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 we launched it. Um, so it certainly wasn't as big, but that's to do with the, um, the six months marketing, you know, people need so, 12 So how many teams did you have? Uh, we had nine. Nine teams. Okay. Um, nine teams, which, you know, I would have loved twice that. Um, but, um, you know, when, you know, two months out, it was like, you know, what, I think we need to do this. Well, I mean, it was really well, it was really well received. I remember, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. the, 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 your, your media was strong. The mm. race experience was strong. So yep. what do you think made it go so well? Cause clearly, you know, nine teams is a start and nine might become 18, 18 might become 35. Right. So mm. what, what do you, what do you credit the success of the race to? Yeah, look, um, oh, so many things. Um, so, like an expedition race, um, it, it, you know, um, it was just, and again, just you know, we were going into it cold. We'd never done something of that length. That said, we've done quite a number of 48-hour races now. We've probably maybe run 20, 20 races now, um, okay. all in that sort of 24-hour, 48-hour sort of space. And uh, and the team is very good now with delivering a 48-hour race. Um, and just working with Craig and Louise and, you know, the guys who ran XPD, um, they um, they said, look, it's, it's it's actually like a slower geo quest. Uh, right. You actually get a little bit more space. 
10 right. legs, just the distances are longer. Um, so you actually, you know, as a, as a race team, you know, you can actually relax a little bit. It's not like this, you know, 24 hour race is just on, you know, it's go, go, go. Yeah. Go, Cause go. the racers yeah. are out on the course for a longer time. So once they Long get time. to a transition area, so, and to your point, like I remember last year I was involved in endless mountains put on by rootstock racing, um, you know, Abby Perkis and Brent Friedland, it was their first year doing it. And they were in the Quahana wild forest in Pennsylvania what was pretty cool that there was one stage where every single team was on the same stage at the same time. Oh, wow. Which yeah. is, and it was a massive stage. It was counterclockwise mm. or clockwise, but from a race director perspective, you weren't chasing a team that was all the way in the back or all yeah. the way in the front. And so your TAs were relatively easy to set up. And I think yeah. to your point that after putting on 48 hour races, doing a six day race, while it's not necessarily 48 times three, it's pretty close mm. to that. Right. And the fact yeah. that the stage is longer, the, the teams are more self-sufficient. They're they're out of your hair more often, right? In twenty-four yeah. hour races, every time you turn around, they're coming into a TA. Oh, totally. Yeah. So it was it was like it really was. It was like a big slow GeoQuest um, from a management perspective. Um, and certainly, yeah, we had a we had a really long bike stage towards the end of the race, which yeah, most of the teams were all on. You know, but so once we sort of again started with short sharp <laughs> stuff at right. the start, you know, lots of fun. Uh, we had a great little canyon um, sort of swim trek thing. Yeah. To start. I saw that that was which great is, which oh it was fantastic and and we, which we actually didn't it because it was an alpine area everything was over a thousand meters um right. it, you know it was a real challenge we were very blessed by the weather like right. it was, I was very very fortunate and i'm very grateful because you know that like that swim could have gone you know either way and i'm very grateful it went one way right. um funnily enough we had a sauna at the end we had accommodation booked sort of all the way around the course so if if stuff really did go badly like the in 2009 when they ran the race in the same area it snowed and the whole race had to be paused for 24 hours yeah. um so we had a lot of strategies in place that thankfully we didn't need to use um but um but yeah look the weather was great and um and so, so, that so, was a so where, where did it go haywire so something had to go wrong during the race oh yeah uh what, what went wrong? uh so uh one, one of the one of the challenges um you know, because it's like 500 kilometers, uh, it's a long, it's a long course. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're really looking at maybe 200 kilometers from the, the southernmost point to the mm -hmm. top, you know. Right, because then you got to get back. Right. Yeah. So, so, um, and then sort of about halfway, there was a road that was taken out due to a landslide, um, which just had, which Matt was, there was talk of maybe it was going to be fixed, but it turned out, yeah, that, that road, it, it wasn't ready for the race, um, which meant we had a, you know, from, from one transition, it was a 20-kilometre paddle uh, for the teams, a 22-kilometre paddle, but from the TA to the next TA was 150 kilometres on the road. So, <laughs> um, so, um, so that's where I don't know if you saw in the pictures, we actually had, because we had enough kayaks, um, but uh, if you saw teams towing their bikes on kayaks, yes. um, yeah. which was just because we were like, Sitting down with logistics, there's no way we're going to be able to get bikes around, you know, in time. You know, it'd be like four or five runs, 150 kilometers. Yeah, and they'll be done with the kayak by the time they're that much driving by the time you get there. So they had to bring, so I saw those pictures where they actually had to put their bikes on the kayaks and they had to tow the yep. kayaks with the bikes behind them, yeah, yeah. fully built. So there was a, 
So, it was a fun so, challenge. It was, so the, um, you know, everyone, everyone was like nervous, you know, is it going to work? Um, you know, um, so, so the day before the race, we actually, you know, we provided kayaks and everyone came down and did tests. Uh, and there was a bunch of different strategies, you know, to some people wanting to go vertical, some people paddling one person, one bike, some right. people just towing. Um, so lots of different ideas, which is actually really fun to see different people solve, you know, solve the problem. But um, yeah, that's a pretty, yeah, that's a unique challenge for a race to, to bring your bike oh, that far was, with yeah. you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was that was good. Um, and it actually worked really well. And people came over the line, oh, that was surprisingly easy. Thankfully, again, the weather was good. So, you know, if it was, you know, a 20 kilometer hour, you know, headwind with, you know, chop a and meter, all that a meter boats, of chop. boats in the water. Yeah. Because yeah, they probably would have they would probably not have looked back kindly on the fact that their bikes being completely submerged. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, right. Their totally. hubs getting sunken, filled with water, all oh, that totally. sort of stuff. Okay, no, so that was so what was the best part of the race? Like what did the what was when you look back on it and you do your sort of after race report and you sit down, you talk to your team about it, what do you think clearly? What did you do best? And and on as a alongside that, what advice would you give to the race director who's considering doing a race, right? Because now that you've done a six-day race, what would you say to somebody else? So what was best and then what would you what advice would you give? Yeah, I think um oh look, just we just worked hard to make sure there was a highlight on each leg. I mean, there was probably one or two legs that maybe there wasn't, the highlight wasn't as great as the others. Right, but it was just travel. Just, right. It was just, yeah. But we just, like, we made sure there was no, so feedback from other races was like, oh, there was like a hundred kilometer death march and it was just like between things. Um, so we just made sure there was no transit stages. Right. You know, there, there was always something special. So, you know, we had the little, you know, said rock climbing at the start, no, sorry, abseiling at the start. And then we had a mm-hmm. gorge uh, and then we had a, you know, and the timing was great for the sort of the next, it was a 50 K sort of gravel ride, but it's, you know, through these beautiful rolling hills and it was at sunset for most of the team. So, you know, mm-hmm. that was a bit of a highlight, the paddle, you know, 40 kilometers on an Alpine Lake is that's just flat out scary. So, right. you know, um, the, the, the fear factor, that was a real highlight. That's a lot. Cause, um, you're, Cause when you're out there, you are in the middle, I mean, Oh, you're in the middle the, of nowhere. The, the yeah. scariest I've ever been during an adventure race is never up high and never oh, yeah. it's when you're on a big alpine lake and yep. the wind is kicking up and you're yep. maybe you're in a dry suit, maybe you're not. I mean, we were in Ecuador. We were up at this yeah. alpine lake and I was if we went in the water, it was going to be a thing if one of the boats oh, yeah, capsized. Yeah. Yeah, this was the thing. So, um, you know, mar- these permitting bodies, maritime safety really came down mm-hmm. as like a ton of bricks, which is right and good. Right. Um, so, so yeah, we had a, a bunch of different strategies in place. Um, but, um, you know, it's funny, you sort of, you know, oh, I don't worry so much about the front, the fast teams, you know, they're very resilient. So a lot of our sort of, you know, safety and, and stuff was sort of factored around sort of the middle to, yeah. to tailing teams. They all had this like perfectly glassy tailwind right you know amazing experience the front end team hit the water a bit earlier and they had a headwind they reckon there was right. a storm coming on you know there's talk about lightning and that sort of stuff so um so yeah they had a bit of a um experience which is actually kind of interesting because often you know as the front end teams get past the weather and the tail end teams get the weather well, right right because um, they're off the course faster right you know the yeah, front end but team. uh yeah but yeah the front end team got the weather on this particular paddle um well, yeah, good. Then we they had, deserved um, it they totally deserved <laughs> it yeah, exactly um 
and the law but here that um the um we had we had, we actually i was very grateful national parks gave us access to a bunch of caves as well which was okay. a bit unusual um so okay. we got to go in some caves which was nice um, yeah let's talk a bit about that because i'm that that terrifies me so when you oh, yeah. when you were in the caves was it was it full-on spelunking was it tight and was uh, it twisty or was it sort of just in a little bit and you know was it just scary uh, these were it was a bit showy um okay. it was it, it, you know it was a real tourist experience sort of you know, set up for day trippers um that said they're just these amazing sort of majestic sort of things you just walk in there you're just overwhelmed yeah. by the size That's of so it was a open yeah yeah so it was it was a totally you know managed experience um and you know you're putting the application and you think national parks are never going to let me do this uh, and then you just say to them well it's going to be through the night so can we have access to this thing 24 hours a day and they said yes so yeah that's great well uh, clearly you got somebody in a good mood that day yeah we certainly did yeah. so and they were kind of excited about it which was great so was there any uh, any, so, pack yeah. ra- any pack rafting on the race uh no we 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 looked at it at the start i'd actually so you know, from the from the town, you know, you just you get on site and you're just looking at different ways to get out of town without using the roads. Right. And uh, and there was a couple of options, but we really wanted to use the Snowy River. It's you know, it's a sort of a legendary thing in Australia, mm-hmm. the Snowy River. Mm-hmm. We, you know, there's movies made about yeah, it. Yeah, the Man from Snowy River. Man, exact Man from Snowy River, hundred percent. Famous yeah, so movie back um, in the eighties. As a former Captain Video Video Ranger, I rented that movie <laughs> oh, a lot in the 80s. Okay. Oh, totally. So that's the country we were in. So we wanted to use the Snowy River for that reason because it's, you know, it's one of the big legendary, you mm-hmm. know, things in the area. And um, so, but there was just not a lot of information about um, pack rafting that first sort of 20, 30 Ks out of gotcha. Um And because it's a dam now, there's, you know, dam releases. So some days it's, you know, 2,000 megalitres, some days it's, you know, 1,000 right. megalitres, and some days it's 500. So you just you just don't know. Um, and the, the day I, w- you know, I went to check it out, you know, I, I didn't really listen to any of my own safety briefings and that sort of stuff. So um, <laughs> I, I, was, I, I was like, you're like it's midweek and, you know, all your adventure mates aren't, you know, <laughs> they're at work and that sort of stuff. So you're like, oh, I'm just going to go down slowly myself and I'll just walk every rapid. So right. uh, so I, I took the pack raft down and and it was a day when there was a, there was a higher release because we've had a lot of rain and um and you know you read the stuff and it's like you know grade two grade two grade three and uh then there was there's a couple of you know there's a couple of grade four rapids later yeah. on yeah, through this gorge and um so I, I i went and did it and um i'm not a great white water paddler by any means in fact i'm really not a great white water paddler right we just don't have a lot of it in australia happy in the surf you know happy on flat water and stuff right but, right 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 um but yeah so I, you know i ran a bunch of them and then um and then once you know once you sort of get into it you you know some of these grade three rapids were just like oh i just can't send teams down here like this. yeah because then all of a sudden because it's teams it's gear it's people they're tired who knows what time they get there you oh know, we totally yeah We've talked about doing a, a a race here in the Northeast and timing it around a dam release here because there are some really nice dam releases. Mm. The downside of that is is that sometimes the dam releases get canceled. There's yeah. other ways around it, and so it gets really tricky. I asked about the pack rest because that's clearly becoming uh, we're seeing it here in the states is that the the, yeah. the, the gear expectation is that a pack raft is going to be part of a, a racer's equipment. Right. Mm. And and that's opening up a lot of other courses for the teams to use and for the race directors to use. 
But to your point, like it's, it has to be the proper place at the proper time, right? It can't just yeah, be, totally. it, it, yeah. and it's also hard too, because they move so slowly. They can't necessarily replace a kayak. They can't really replace a, a canoe that easily, right? So it gets challenging. Yeah, now. yeah. so we, so, I mean, I, I, I explored it. Um, it was, I think this, it's because it was so unpredictable. We, mm-hmm. we didn't know what, what the level of water was going to be. I was also aware we had a couple of, you know, youth teams as well. Um, so I sort of reached out to those guys and say, hey, look, I'm thinking of a pack rafting leg. You know, gear is obviously a big barrier right. for young teams and stuff. So, you know, is this going to be an issue? And they were like, "Oh no, there's some pack rafts around that we can get access to." So, um, so that was that was good. Um, and we, look, it didn't go ahead anyway. We we turned it into a trek, gotcha. uh, which was actually great, and it was totally manageable and achievable. You know, sort of no matter what the water level was. Um, right, right. It's agnostic, and, right? The, big, the biggest problem is water falling from the sky during that. Yeah, to- rain absolutely. Up. Yeah, yeah, t- totally. So, look, it, you know, I, I think it was a it was a good thing at the end of the day that we didn't do it. But yeah, I'm really hoping very much that we'll do pack rafting in the next version of Legend. Yeah. Um, but, I'm going to so, come back to that in a second because I I don't want to leave the beginner racer hanging out there. Ooh, yeah. As someone who runs a lot of races and someone who you know clearly goes across the you have your six hour, your twenty four, your forty eight, and your six day race. Very often, the person who's the newer racer is very reticent and very hesitant to jump in because they feel overwhelmed by the course. They Mm. feel overwhelmed by it. What advice would you give as a race director to the person sitting at home who wants to, who wants to do something, but is concerned about the, their ability level and concerned about their ability to finish the race. What do you do to get them across the finish line as a race director? Oh, look, so, you know, we, we make sure there's a, you know, anyone who's new, um, but still wants to take on like a 24 hour, 48 hour challenge. Um, you know, I'd highly recommend they sign up for the half course. So so we always make sure everything has always got a full course and a half course. And the half course is really, you know, it's, it's basically the same navigational challenge. Um, you're going over the same legs, but, you know, instead of like 100 kilometres on the bike, you might be doing 50 kilometres right. on the bike. And, okay. you know, instead of 20 k's of paddling, you know, it's 10 or maybe 12. It, they're, they're never quite half, but they're a little bit over. But, um, but but yeah, you know, we, we sort of then take out some of the, the harder stuff. Um, so you're just not covering around that distance so you know highly recommend signing up for the half course um you know kayaks yeah we we don't do things like pack rafting in in those sort of more accessible races gotcha so so so, so the gear the gear jump isn't that hard for the newer race yeah so we try and make so like most people have a bike or have access to a bike um you know and we and you don't you don't need a full suspension you know amazing carbon cross-country mountain bike right you know like a Hardtail, you know, aluminium mountain bike, you know, is is fine. Ideally, gotcha. front suspension. Right, right. Um, so we try and design it around that. Um, I, I try and avoid as much as possible, you know, super technical mountain biking. Um, that said, it might be technical in its hardness you know right. so you, you you need to be aware you're going to be pushing a bike up a hill and there's even our little six hour race on the weekend there's a hill you know gotcha. I, I think it would be wrong and there should be to i mean it shouldn't be and there should be yeah, totally. right yeah, yeah you don't totally. want to you don't want to th- there's that magic line for the newer race between giving them enough challenge where they, they feel oh, yeah. that they worked hard for it but not so hard that they get they go home they throw their bike in the water right they feel yeah, good totally. about it yep yeah, no, and we sort of so I think we play that balance well with those half courses. So like at Terra Nova, the twenty four hour race we just ran, um, you know, we had like the first team that pulled out, like it just belted down with rain at about seven o'clock, about you know, six, seven hours into the race. Uh, and that just leveled the the field of anyone that was just on the edge, you know, wanting to keep going or not didn't quite have the right gear prep, you know, right. and that sort of stuff. Um, so the first team to pull out, you know, they came, they, they rolled in, they rode, they made their way back, which I think is great. And, 
full respect to anyone that makes their own way back to you know HQ. Right. I think it's really good and important. And I always celebrate that too. Um, but they made their way back and you know, they, they they pull up on their bikes and uh, they're totally new new to the sport. And they were like, you know, we're, we're pulling out. We're just totally unprepared for the weather um, with the bikes and all that sort of stuff. But we know what we're doing wrong and we know what we need to do for the yeah. next one. So so we, we get quite a lot of teams that, you know, they just won't finish the first you know, the first half course. Um, gotcha. gotcha. But, and, and to that point, the team that rolled back to headquarters, rather than sending a truck to go get them, they come back. They knew what they could have done better. They knew that they were, the gear outstripped them. More likely that team will return to a future race. Oh, totally. Yeah. And we, we you know, sometimes it's two goes, sometimes it's three. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had a, there's a, there's uh, this, that the same race. There's a, there's been a, an all women's team, just local, you know, adventure mums, mm-hmm. um, all in their sort of, you know, 30s and 40s. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they did the first one. You know, I think came over the line during presentations or something like that, having missed half the course, but you know, got it done. You know, all got back under their own steam, which is important. But they're like, no, we need to come back. And then last year they came back, and you know, that, unfortunately, it was a really hard year with weather. So right. it was just it was freezing cold, and you know, um, you know, and it rained a lot. So they, they actually had a really hard experience. But then they they pulled out just at the last at the last day. They didn't, you know, they they two of them had gone completely through their brake pads, right, because of the the hill they'd gone down they just they were they were done um but yeah they came back again this year you know, like this year's our year we're going to finish it this time and right. they got it done and i just you know that's my that's favorite. great i mean and i i've lived that personally their race that i did yeah. that just i just i halfway through day one there was the stockville by rootstock racing knocked yep. me out halfway through day one year two i barely i didn't yep. i only finished day one and then yep. i came back and we had a really good result a few years later where we yep. were on the podium right and i think yeah. credit to you for creating a setting in which someone can quote unquote can fail, but recognize that mm. failure is a is a tough term in adventure racing. It's hard to fail mm. in adventure racing. Yeah. And yet they felt comfortable to come back and to try it again. And I think that's one of the most important things that a race director could do is that whoever she is, they could create mm. the experience that the that the team that struggles still wants to return and wants to try it again. Yeah. Yeah. And like the team is, our team is good too. You know, they're more interested, they're, they're passionate about sport, right. you know, and, and they love adventure racing. They love, you know, cycling, mountain biking, that sort of stuff. And so, you know, there's just a, a spirit in the team of just going, look, we, we want to get these guys over the line. So, you know, they'll coach, people coach people yeah. through you know, transitions. You know, hey, you know, maybe don't think about that. Maybe just drop that checkpoint and do yeah. this and then you'll get the whole thing done. And um, Very common I mean, thing so in adventure racing is the, is the when the beginner team gets into a checkpoint and looking at their maps, someone with the race organization will say to them, hey, listen, catch your breath. Do this, do yeah. this, do this, go there, do this. And we'll, and we'll help get them to a certain point. We saw that last year at the Shenandoah Epic, which was a mm. great race put on by Mark Harris, Adventure Enablers. Mm. Super hot day. They had the TAs loaded with ice and with drinks. Mm. They were great. They had a really hard trekking section, and they made it really clear to the newer teams that, like I said, that trekking section, large swath if it's optional, here's the biking component. Keep your yeah. act together and you're going to be just fine, right? Yeah. So, so to your yeah. point, the race director wants to get teams across. And and I think that's what adventure racing shares with the ultra community is that mm. we don't eat our young. Oh, yes, it's true. It's I mean, true. Some some endurance sports, it's all about the idea that like they want to they want to put their boot on somebody's neck and they want the person to suffer, mm. right? And this to create this weird quasi, I'm tougher than you and I suffer. No, 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 no. Yeah. We're all gonna suffer. Let's get the newer person across the finish line. 
Oh yeah, and, and even the I mean that was it was almost you know word for word feedback. Uh, the last race was like um, new people coming. That I can't believe I'm part of this community. It was right. so encouraging. It was so great to be out there, and you know the the top people are helping the sort of the middle the road people, and they're helping the you know the total new new people, and um, and you know they're getting this. So there was a uh, a creek crossing um, at a at a particular checkpoint. The checkpoint's right in the middle, and you know a new team comes up. Um, just because, as I said, we sort of layer um, stuff over the top of each other. So often you'll have a, you know, a, a newer team further along the course than a, you know, a faster team. Sure, and, sure. and I'm like, are we supposed to go across this? Is this is this all right? And then and just then just describing, you know, having a, a, a one of the the faster teams turn up, you know, hold hands, you know, go through this yeah. thing, uh, and then go, oh, okay, I guess that's how you do it, and then get through this thing safely. And um, we saw that a couple yeah. of years ago at the at the trilogy, which is New York Adventure Racing Association six hour beginner race, and there was a there was a, there was a checkpoint in a stream. And mm. there was a, a very experienced team came up. Uh, Jeff Woods, Joe Brodigan were involved in that team. Um, and Jeff raced and J- the Jeff and Joe have raced everywhere. I forget who the third person was. I apologize to who she is. I, her name escapes me. And basically they walked right down to the river and they walked right into the river, walked right across, punched the checkpoint and kept going. They didn't yeah. dance around. They didn't look <laughs> yep, for rocks. Yep, yep. They just, yep. and the newcomers were like, I guess that's how we do it. And they <laughs> just pounded into yep. the river. And yep. people were dancing around. And to your point, like the newer racer getting experience from the more experienced racer. And people don't, is because it, it's probably the culture we live in, it's so rules based and so all this sort of stuff. You're like, are we allowed to do that? Are we supposed right. to do that? Right. And I remember the, the first race we ran, um, you know, some. We, we I had feedback from someone, um, an email come through after the race and saying that was just too dangerous. There was, there was barbed wire and there were electric fences on the course. Um, and, 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 uh, I'm assuming you know what I mean by barbed wire. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. I guarantee you that they were reading the map wrong. Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah. But, um, you know, I use that in the race briefings at the start. So look, you know, there's barbed wire out there and there's electric fences. Yeah. So, cause sometimes farmers will put it across a Creek and we're going through a Creek, right. you know, you're going to have to look out for this sort of stuff. And I just use that, you know, you need to be aware that, you know, we're going to be going places that you know, your local triathlon club probably isn't going right. to send you. Right. Um, if you, if you race in Ecuador, they tell you to be careful about bulls. There are yeah, yes. careful when you're crossing a field. That you oh, might yes. be crossing by a bull and and give oh, yeah. Mr. Bull a lot of room, right? And so that's yeah, actually that, that is works. a that is a challenge. <laughs> yeah, open paddocks. We we often, uh, in fact, the upcoming GeoQuest, there's a few open paddocks we can go through. So um, just don't, go make eye contact, keep moving, just don't look at it. and, and don't stay look at and stay eye. away stay away from the smaller animals. Just keep moving, yep. don't look at them. Yep. So now, um, is Legend coming back next year? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, What's we're it? just have you um, set a date yet? Uh, I haven't set a date. I'm looking at two two dates. You know, it's a bit of a challenge getting into the calendar. Um, so we're looking at yeah, um, either that February or April. Sort so of, if a, if sort a team, of, if an overseas team wanted to come down and do do the race, where would they fly into? Ah, um, well, we haven't asked the location yet. Oh, okay, um, but okay. we've. But uh, but yeah, actually, uh, maybe we, I'm not sure when this is going to go live. Um, but uh, but yeah, we're looking at we've we've got a bit of a. We're just looking for a concept, sort of, you know, what gotcha. are we going to do with Legend? And, you know, I, I want to go all over Australia. 
gotcha. you know, straight, okay. there's these like big highlight things. I don't want to sort of stick to one region. Um, you know, there's there's stuff in we we're just in New South Wales and really, you know, Mount Kosciuszko, the the Alps, you know, uh, Australian Alps is is really the the big iconic. So that's actually pretty spots. cool. So if I understand correctly, Australia, which is its own continent and a massive country, you're saying that this race at any point could be anywhere inside that country. It's yeah, not that's even the one plan. region. Okay, 100%. So that's, that's the plan. You can't say where to fly into because you haven't announced the location yet. Yeah, yeah totally. Gotcha. So, okay. well, we've got a bit of a concept. Um, so, really, what, what we want to do is just pick off these big things in each in each part of Australia. So, and there's also weather and you know calendar challenges too. So, you know, in the north of Australia, you can't run a race in summer. It's just it's it's too hot. Too hot. Okay. Um, and you've also got the wet season. So, you know, um, so you, you need to in the north of Australia, you have to run a race. You know, in winter. Um, you know, in the dry season. Gotcha. Um, because once it's wet, it's it's like it's wet. Um, and, it and, what, wet. and what month would that be? So that would be a, a, like a July. Um, so, gotcha. so if we go to north, the north of Australia, North Queensland, Northern Territory, um, those sort of areas uh, into the desert regions, you know, mm-hmm. you'd need to you need to run, and we, we absolutely will run Legend in the desert at some stage. There will be a uh, desert version. There will be a desert version. Yeah, so you'll get that absolute red center, you know, dry, um, dusty sort of stuff. So, so we'll absolutely do that sometime in the future. Yeah, um, but there's also you know, you know, a bunch of other areas in Australia too that are, you know, equally. Yeah, with, with my luck, that'll be the year, the desert's the year that I'll see. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I'll, I'll get the desert year. Yeah. And, and well, so, yeah. yeah, and so I think that the challenge basically is, is that Wild & Co. has the will and desire to run the race. It's all about finding logistical times, the location, the time of year, and then comparing it to different races also. Yeah, totally. So, so the plan is at this stage, um, and we're going to sort of announce it, uh, you know, through a press release in the next next couple of weeks. Okay. But we would really like to do a journey right around Australia. So, okay. pick off. So, we've done New South Wales. Okay. Um, I would really like to head south, uh, which means go to Victoria. And there's okay. a couple of amazing locations in Victoria that we'd like to do. And then that would mean then probably heading towards Tasmania, uh, and then South Australia, Western Australia. Northern Territory, back to Queensland. So, so we really actually like to take Legend the whole way around Australia. So it sounds like to me that Legend is is working on becoming the premier multi day adventure race for Australia. That's our goal, that's and I goal. think that's the goal. I mean, you you, you don't know, and uh, you know you, you you hope and you will work towards it. But that is absolutely the goal: is we become the you know the like expedition racing. It is the hardest thing you can do, no matter what. So yeah, to become the absolute premier you know, toughest race in Australia you can do. Um, and legend, like the name, you know, I want it to become this sort of legendary thing. Uh, yeah, with a name like that, you better be good. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, isn't, it, isn't, it isn't the mediocre adventure race. It isn't the no, no, it's, not. it's the legend. If you're going to call it yeah. the legend, you better be the Absolutely. legend. Absolutely. So which means we have to go to the best places, you know. So so there's a couple of places in Victoria we're looking at that are just spectacular. You know, the sort of stuff that if you're going to make a national TV commercial about Australia, right. you know, you're going to have shots of five or six locations around it. You know, that's where we're going. Gotcha. So. In the background, you'll see you guys running behind there. Oh, yeah, so, totally. So, so Chris, I, I appreciate your time on the dark zone. You've been very, very generous. Any closing thoughts out there for the newer racer? What do you want to leave them with as they listen to the podcast? Because a lot of racers use this for their training. And so they've been listening for their hour on the bike or their hour on the run. The closing thought that you want to say to the newer person out there about adventure racing and about the sport. Take it away. Oh, look, I, I think um, to me, the most, and, and if you haven't done one before and you're thinking about doing one, you're just sort of, you know, exploring this sort of whole community is look, 
anything is achievable. Uh, a 24-hour race is 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 more than achievable. A 48-hour race is more than achievable. Maybe do a 24-hour first, um, you know, um, or maybe even do a six-hour before you do a 24. But anything is achievable if you just keep putting food in and go slowly, you know, so just race, you know, with your friends, um, you know, as a team. Um, but yeah, if you just, you just go slowly, take it easy. Um, you'd be amazed what you can do. And once you get over the line and you, you know, you, you get through that, that first big challenge, that 24 hour race, that 48 hour race, whatever it is, um, it is a life-changing experience. Um, and I say and it, it's just because of this perspective change on what you think is possible, you know, and that goes across to work, that goes across to family, goes across to your kids and all that sort of stuff. It's just this perspective change. Hang on, you know, I've just done this. If I can do that, then I, then this thing is easy. Um, and by contrast, everything's easy <laughs> compared to adventure racing. So. Uh, but you can do it. You know, it's very, very achievable. Well, there you go, folks. Chris Dixon, he loves adventure racing. He loves putting on races, loves talking about racing. Clearly, clearly this sport means a lot to him. And we're happy to give Chris the opportunity to share who he is with the world. Uh, a lot of races coming up on his website, Wild & Co. Link will be in the show notes. If you find yourself in Australia, that part of the world, look him up, do a race or two or three. You'll love it. He'll love it. We'll all love it. Thanks again for being here, listeners. The Dark Zone will always be free to all of you. It is our love letter, our thank you, our testament to the adventure racing community. We are delighted that you choose to spend your time with us. Get out there, keep racing, keep training, and above all, be safe. Your imagination, worlds above and worlds below. The sun shines on the black clouds hanging over the domain. Even when you're feeling warm, the temperature could drop away like four seasons in one day. Smiling. As the shit comes down You can tell a man from what he has to say Everything gets turned around And I will risk my neck again, again You can take me where you will Up the creek and through the mill Like all the things you can't explain Four seasons in one Comfort there is pain 
step away Like four seasons in one day 